Welcome to Real Talk Live. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Kalanda. And this is Stanley. Thank you so much for joining us. As we've been doing for the past few weeks, we are in our Ask the Pastor series, and tonight is no different. Tonight, we have a very special guest, and we're going to be talking about salvation and all things heaven. Stanley, want to introduce our special guest? Our special guest is, uh, he's the pastor of the Holtwell Church um, here in, I still want to say Jacksonville, because I feel like it's still Jacksonville, but uh, it's the Hopewell Church in uh, St. John's, and uh, he's known all over, one of the greatest theologians and Bible teachers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody knows Pastor Gary Williams, so he really needs no introduction. Uh, his ministry really speaks for itself. So we're just glad to have him here on The Real Room with us tonight, uh, joining us. So everybody, Pastor Gary Williams, Hopewell Church. Um, I almost said First Baptist of Mandarin, but it's Holtwell now. So <laughs> that's just how much we've been following his ministry. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna let him. In, I'm gonna let him say hello to you all, and then we. I guess we will get started in the conversation. Well, uh, man, good evening to everyone, Kalanda, and then to you, Stan. Man, it's just a blessing uh, to be here with you guys. I salute what you're doing, and uh, Stan, when you hit me up and it was really as a result of your father that I, I acquiesced to say that uh, whatever you wanted me to do. So you need to give your daddy that hat once you get off this. Uh, <laughs> so that's what you need to do. But uh, man, we're honored to be with you guys tonight, uh, just very quickly. And we are, and Stanley, you were right. We're in, uh, we have the Mandarin campus, which we, you know, okay. uh, 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 we, we still operate from as well as the St. John's campus. So. Uh, Hopewell Church now is one church in, in uh, uh, two locations. Been pastoring for 31 years. And so uh, this past January, uh, pastored 31 years, first year of pastoring in a pandemic. And so I think we all have that on our resume. Mm-hmm. But uh, just uh, trying to do the Lord's work, uh, love people, uh, love young people, love to see people who are excited on fire for Christ. And uh, just proud to be with some kingdom shakers. So hey, that that's that's my story. I'm sticking to it. So glad to be here with you guys. It's, we're just glad to have you here, Pastor. As soon as we made the post, everybody, Pastor Williams is gonna be on the real road. What? I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> but they're excited to hear from you tonight. So I'm excited as well. Yeah, yeah. So as I was thinking about you know tonight's topic, I was thinking about um, how I don't really have a testimony like most believers when, you know, people who celebrate like their spiritual birthdays and, you know, I got saved 35 years ago. It was a stormy day on, you know, I remember going to the altar at 12 years old. And I, I think about how I don't have that testimony because growing up in church, I got saved very often because that was my understanding, you know, I didn't want to take communion if I wasn't right with the Lord. Nope. Skip over me. I'm not walking over there to get communion. I'm not really sure what I thought would happen, but we didn't participate in it. And we didn't feel like we were in right standing. And then certainly every watch night service, you dare not go into the new year without giving your life to Christ. And so, you know, growing up like that, and then I probably was in college when I first heard that there was more that the Lord required of me than just for me to be saved. And so then it, 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 there's this question in our generation, like, okay, 
So once saved, always saved. So I'm not continuing to work for my salvation anymore. So once I'm saved, what am I supposed to be doing next? But I guess we want to answer that, that question first. Once a person is saved, are they always saved? Is your, is your salvation sure? Can we like, okay, I'm going to go to heaven. You know, at what point can we be confident? Can we be confident? Well, and I, and, and, and I think that what your struggle was or is, is, uh, is one of the things that I've, I think that the church, especially for your generation, uh, I think that the church has kind of failed to do. And let me say this, going back years ago, one of the things that there are many, many of the saints did is that they really tried to err on the side of caution. And they really tried to err on the side of truth. And just putting it mildly, they want to scare hell out of you. And then they want to make sure that you stay saved, you live saved, you know, you exhibit salvation in everything that you do. But uh, when you really think about, and, and, I, and I get that, you know, one of the things as I get older and even as I mature, I have to, I, I learn from my own mistakes. I learn from the mistakes of our elders, as I said, and I don't fault them for that, but I think that, of the generation that's behind me is that we have to, your generation is so, is, is, uh, is prone for facts and not just facts, is prone for truth. And not only prone to uh, uh, seek facts and truth, but also practicality. I think that a salvation that is so complex that you cannot understand it means this, that it's difficult to live. So with that being said, let's talk about Okay, and just to go right at it, once saved, always saved. Yes, if you are if you are truly saved, you're always saved. There are a couple of passages of scripture. Uh, one, I think it's in, well, Jesus said in, I think, John 18 and 19, he talks about the fact that all that the Father had given him, that he kept. In other words, he never lost. He says the same thing in John chapter 6. It's, it's interesting that Jesus almost says the same thing. He says that in John 18 and 9, he says that in John 6, 39, that those in whom you've placed in my hand, he said that I've kept. When you go and see where Jesus died on the cross in John 19, I think somewhere around verse 30, when Jesus says it is finished, and I want you to think about that. He, he says, teletestai, which means it is finished. That means the atoning work of Christ for your salvation. That means my past sin, it means my present sin, it means my future sin were covered on the cross. And I want, you to, I want you to think about that. So if Jesus didn't finish the work, then it means that he left a work for you and I to finish. And there's nothing that you and I could do other than accept the atoning work of Christ for salvation. Let me, let me hit one or two more things. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed to the day of redemption. What's that? That means to the day that Christ comes back and raptures us. So with that being said, there's not a thing that I can do to make me lose my salvation. Because if that's the case, now what you got to start doing is putting sins on scales and determine which sin calls you to which sin calls you to lose your salvation? Okay, when I thought the, when I looked at that guy the wrong way, or when I looked at the girl the wrong way, or when I lied and say that uh, I wasn't home when I was home, once you get on that scale, that's a slippery slope. 
So the atoning work of Christ covered our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. When you go to uh, Romans chapter three, chapter six, Paul lifts this question starting at the first verse, and he goes on, I think it's verse three through five, somewhere in there. He asked the question, shall we continue to sin that grace shall more abound? Then he says, God forbid. In other words, now, because I've been covered by the grace of God, does it give me a license to sin? Absolutely not. So am, if I am truly saved, am I always saved? Yes, because if I'm not saved, then what it means is that Jesus in John 19 the atonement that he did on Calvary's cross, which means this, it was insufficient. Then it means that Jesus lied in John chapter six, as well as in John chapter 18, when he says, everybody that you've given to me that I've held, I, I have not lost one. And then it means that Paul lies when he says in Ephesians 4.30, when he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't go against the spirit of God. Don't go against uh, the, the, uh, the third person in the trinity who is keeping you the holy spirit leads us into all manner of truth he guides us he convicts us but he also seals us to the day of redemption so my salvation is based upon my confession my belief of what jesus did on calvary his atoning work for my life but then here it is it with all of that being said it does not give me a license to sin and calamity you said this so what am I to do after I get saved? It's not that I relax. That's where discipleship occurs. So what I'm to do, I'm to live my life in a manner that's pleasing to God. And, and here's the reason why. Because now that you're saved, the enemy is not trying to stop you from being saved. What he's trying to do is to taint your testimony. Because now, if he can taint your testimony, your life no longer becomes a witness to draw people to the knowledge of Christ. And that's what he wants you to do. So it, he, argue, he knows that the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross, keep in mind of all of what he was trying to do to Jesus, he didn't want Jesus to make it to the cross because he knew what was going to happen. But with that being said, and I'll close this comment up, with that being said, the thing that he wants to do now is mess up your testimony. And if he messes up your testimony, he understands that now you will repel people from coming to Christ as opposed to draw people to Christ. So I hope that made uh, a bit of sense, some sense. Ooh. That was good. That was, see, he preaching and I'm the one got to take the drink. What's in that cup? This is soda. This is cranberry juice. Right. Well, tell the audience, brother. Tell the audience. <laughs> <laughs> that is Canada Dry. Cranberry soda, whatever it is, cranberry thing. But I have a question about um, uh, Pastor Williams. Um, I knew a couple. I remember a couple of years ago, people were upset with uh, Carlton Pearson when he came out with the inclusion inclusion gospel. Right, and he was just saying, you know, basically everybody was going to heaven and and this and that and the other. So you have now you have a generation that now follows the inclusive gospel as well. So how do we um, how can I put it? How do we how do we address that? You know, even now, because as times are evolving and, and, and years are going by, people are now coming up with new ideas and new methods and things of salvation. Because, you know, I remember back in the day, you know, growing up in the church and the Pentecostal church, it was 
this way, this way. If you didn't do this, you was you was gonna inhale. You would lift up your eyes. <laughs> you know they used to tell us, and I know you 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 pastor the Baptist church. They used to tell us the Baptist people weren't saved and all of that. <laughs> so, stay away from them. <laughs> so everybody had their own interpretations of salvation. So is there different interpretations of salvation or is there one way, like just one way that we all should follow? Well, well that's a great question. And, and listen, you, you cannot have nine interpretations of a scripture. You cannot do it. There's only one interpretation, but then uh, there are a, a myriad of applications. Now you can take something and apply it in a different way, but just mm -hmm. but but as a matter of fact, anytime that you take a scripture out of a, out of its context, you make a pretext. Let me say something else. There are three ways that you study the Bible. First of all, you study it historically. That's number one. Next, you study it contextually. What is the context? And then third of all, you study it grammatically. That's why people find out what does it mean in the Hebrew? What does it mean in the Greek? So there are three ways you look at a passage. First of all, what's the history? What's the setting? What's the audience? Then you take the context and the context is discovering what's being said you know, in that chapter. What's the flow of it? But then third of all is the grammar. And here's the reason why you have to do it that way every single time, because grammar is important. If I take one word and I, one word can alter a sentence, I can say go to that store or go to a store or go to the store. There are the same amount of words in the sentence, but act and that, you know, uh, are they, they alter the sentence. The same thing takes place uh, when it comes to, uh, to, to words, when it comes to grammar, you know, you got love that occurs in four ways in the Greek, you got agape, eros, on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, but with that, not going, and the reason I'm saying that is going back to what you mentioned about Carlton Pearson and so others, you know, so many others, okay? This person saying this, this person, what does the Bible say? Because the Bible will preach itself. Look at it in its history, look at it in its context, and then look at it in its ground. And what happens is, is that people oftentimes extract things out of a passage and make it say something that it does not say, which means this, you're building your own pretext. That's mm -hmm. what, and that's what has happened over the course of years. Here's something else. Whenever you come across a difficult passage of scripture, you, you uncover it with clearer passages of scripture. That's how you help to understand and get the gist of what a passage says. So it's not, you know, for years, people have come up with their own beliefs, with their own dogma, with their own, what does the Bible say? And so it makes not a difference what Gary Williams say, Carlton Pearson said, what does the Bible say? Because the Bible will preach itself. That's so true. I, I know our pastor, your friend, Bishop Hall, he says that all the time. Anything taken out of context is a pretext for you to say what you want. And with him saying that, even with my studying the word, it's I, I don't go by those one scripture, those like, like, let's back up a few verses and see the whole context of this so we can get a full understanding. So that's, I, I love that. Go and ahead, Glenn. And let me oh, just no. say this, and that, that makes it clear, you know, and mm -hmm. what happens is because... Yeah, there are some things in the Bible that just because you you read, you're not to do. You know, just because you read something in the Bible don't mean you do, you know. 
uh, in the Old Testament, there's what is known as, as implicatory prayers, prayers of vengeance. That does not filter in the New Testament. So you see things in the Bible. You see things in dispensations. You see things in eras, you know, in, in certain eras of, of time. That, that doesn't mean that we do that in this time. So, you know, but you let the Bible, you let the Bible, uh, uh, it'll preach itself. As I said, you look at it in its, in its historical context, in its uh, uh, grammatical context, you know, and then in, in, uh, in, the, in the context uh, of that chapter and of that verse. I was in, I was in a, a Bible study um, last year and they, they were discussing something similar and the pastor was trying to use the word to, uh, you know, the same message that you're, you know, that you, same thing that you're teaching tonight, Pastor Williams, that, you know, we can't be plucked out of God's hand. He said he finished the word, same thing. And there was some missionaries, like adamant, like, no, because if you say that, then that means people can do whatever they want to do. If they say, <laughs> once they say, they always say, that means they're just going to do whatever they want to do. But the Bible say that liars, murderers, they should all have their part in the lake of fire. So my question is, if we're always, if once saved, always saved, who, is, who are the people who are going to hell? Who, who's going to hell? Those who have not confessed Christ and believed uh, in the atoning work that he gave and provided us on Calvary. Those are the ones, and, and the Bible talks of that in Peter, it talks about that in 1 John. You know, and it talks about these things were written that we may not only believe, but know that we have eternal life. And, and it's important to understand that uh, it's important to understand it doesn't, one of the scriptures that I quoted was in Romans chapter six. It's a, it's a perfect example. And one of the things that it says is that shall we continue to sin that grace shall more abound. He's, it's a rhetorical question Paul answers his own question by saying, God forbid. So, and here's the other thing. So first of all, it doesn't give us a license. S salvation and uh, eternal security it does not give you a license to sin. It does not give you a license. To, you, you know, as we opened up, you asked the question, you said, okay, once I'm saved, now what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to live for the Lord. You know, once, once I became... Uh, one of the things that God never takes away from a person is the right to choose. When God made man, he made him a free moral agent. And I want you to think about that for a moment. When God made Adam and Eve, he told them that they could eat of all of the trees of the garden. He said, but now that tree over there, don't touch it. For the day you eat, you're going to surely die. God put, could have put a barbed wire fence, rock wire, whacking up <laughs> security guard in front of it, uh, police JSO, and say, hey, Keep them away. God gave them the opportunity to go, gave them the opportunity to stay away from it or gave them the opportunity to, uh, to partake of that tree. It's the same thing for salvation. It's our choice. God, people say, well, why would God send somebody to hell? He's not sending anyone to hell. You know, uh, you have that opportunity. People have that opportunity to accept Christ. And so with that being said, we were made as, as free moral agents, but it does not give us a license to sin. You know, people say this, that with great authority comes great responsibility. 
The same holds true with great salvation. It comes great responsibility. As I, I'm a pastor, I have great responsibility. I'm a father, I have great responsibility. I'm a husband, I got great responsibility. Now, me being all those things don't mean that I just guaranteed that I'm gonna be faithful to my wife, honor my kids, it doesn't mean that. But now, you know, God, because that right belongs to me, you know, and so it's the same holds true, you know, for those who are, are part of the Christian faith. So we have a, a question, and I, I don't know if this term is universal, um, but someone is asking about backsliding. <laughs> It, and the question is, are you still a candidate for heaven when backsliding without repentance? Because I also thought, because I was thinking I had to like uh, keep working for my salvation, it would bother me to go a few days and realize, oh God, I haven't asked you for forgiveness and you could take me out right now. And then I, I felt like I had to be in this constant state of repentance, verbally saying, Okay, Lord, forgive me of all my sins committed omission, commission. Like, mm -hmm. so is it possible to still be a candidate, you know, for heaven if you if you're, you know, you fall and you 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 didn't get a chance to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry, or what have you? Well, let, and let's talk about that. Let's let's be practical, okay? Um, you went and bought some scratch off. Then you left there, went to the to the dog track. Then you left there, you stopped by the Circle K and bought you some liquor. And then you left there and got in your car and smoked a blunt. And then you went home. And then you said, man, this, I knew I shouldn't have done that. The Lord convicted me. But then you fell asleep and forgot to ask for forgiveness. Where, where, where do you think? you're gonna go, if you were really saved. Hmm. And here, let me, let me answer for you. If you're truly saved, you're going to hell. Let me go back and say what Ooh. I said before. If you're truly saved, you're gonna go, you're gonna go. That was some relief right there, Pastor. Well, as a matter, if you're truly <laughs> saved, you're gonna to go to hell. It, now, I, you know, I did that tongue in cheek and I was being facetious. Uh -huh. But if a man, if a man or woman backslides, whatever entails them backsliding, you mean to tell me God's grace didn't cover that? It covered it. Here's the thing now you gotta understand. Just because it's covered, that doesn't mean that you avoid a consequence. It does not mean that. It doesn't mean you avoid a consequence. You, you got to answer to God. You may have to answer to somebody else, but you sure enough are going to, uh, 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 you sure enough are going to answer to God. There's, as a matter of fact, I got one better than this, and I want your audience to write it down. I want you to write it down because I want you to hear clearly what the Bible says. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's really verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read it. It's not that long. I'm going to read it. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, it is actually, and I'm reading from the ESV. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And listen to what he says. And of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. It's believed that this dude was sleeping with his stepmom. 
This is this is this is in First Corinthians. First Corinthians five verse two says, "And you are arrogant." It says, "Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you." In other words, now if there's a a a, a sin, a gross sin, if it, if they don't repent. Now, they need to be placed out of the congregation is what Paul is saying. Verse 3 says this, for though absent in the body, in other words, I'm not there. He says, I'm present with you in spirit. He says, and, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now, I want you to listen to verse 4 and verse 5. Verse four, he says this, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, he says, with the power of our Lord Jesus, he says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, listen to this, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What Paul is saying is now, listen, if this boy won't get right, if you and the elders have met with him, put him out of the church, deliver him over to it. He says this, so his flesh can be destroyed, so his soul can be saved. In other words, for those of us or those who desire that they want to sin or whatever, God reserves the right to punch your ticket. God reserves the right to call you home. So, you know, people say, we, people keep going to the fact, well, uh, what if I do this, I do this? Well, you got the right to do it. You have the choice to do it. But now God also has the choice because you belong to him to call you home. And so when you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, it don't get, don't get worse than that. But now it shows you the power of God. It shows you eternal security. It shows you in the gravity and the grossness of that person's sin, he was still saved. Galatians 6 and 1 says this. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, listen to what it says. Ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I don't want to be a part of any church that can't show me grace. I don't want to be a part of no church. You mean you tell me, listen, listen, let's just be real. Let's be real. I don't care if you holiness, Baptist, Episcopalian, Christian, that, that, that don't matter. Because short dresses come down just like long. And people are having sex, they're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but for the grace of God. It does not give us a license to do it. But I don't want to be a part of no church who a person got caught up in a jacked up lifestyle and now they want to come back to the Lord. They want to come back and be restored into the fellowship. I don't want to be a part of no church that won't restore people, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of whether they sold drugs. I don't want to be a part of no church. Because now what we've started doing is cherry picking sin, and you don't want to get in that business. Mm, we had uh, Pastor Virgil Jones Jr. on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he pretty much was saying the same thing. When you start um, judging, that's when you start sitting in the seat that's too big for you. Yeah. And, and, and you're really reiterating the same thing because a lot of us have been guilty of, you know, seeing somebody, because I grew up in church been in church all of my life yeah. so I used to think everybody that was in church was saved and this and that so I held all of them to a high regard yeah. so if I walked out on the street and saw them doing something oh this person smoking cigarettes they're going to hell yeah. this person drinking beer they're going to hell oh this and that and so it wasn't until I got older and got a more of a knowledge of a word to realize that 
we're still human and God still gives us choice and, and we still have to understand, yes, there's a way that God would like for us to live, but he still gives us the grace until we can understand the importance of, you know, how to live that life. But going back to, to what you said on that point, we're still, we are held to mm -hmm. a higher standard. You know, we, we, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want the audience or anyone to think that because the grace is there, that now we should live any kind of way. It does not mean that because now what you do is that if we're not careful, we'll bring disgrace to grace. In other, mm. in other words, now because God has blessed us and 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 uh, and given us, you know, salvation on and so forth, we're to be stewards of our life. We're to be stewards of our Christian life. So that it, keep in mind, salvation. If you think about salvation, it's a, it's a process. I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. And what that means is this, is that God never stops working on me. Philippians, I think one and six says, you can be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Go back to your analogy about seeing the guy, the, the Christian of the church folk, we used to have years ago, that <laughs> folk had a lot of deacons smoking cigarettes, but let's, let's go in the uh, <laughs> That's why he told us y'all weren't saved. <laughs> let's, let's go and touch on that for a minute. Because the Bible says this is that, uh, and Paul says he in, in, in 1 Corinthians again, that if me eating meat caused my brother to go astray, then I've sinned. Because in his day, there was, there was meat being offered to idols. The, the meat wasn't bad, but you know, they would go to the butcher shop get a piece of meat, then that meat would be offered to a knife. Well, the young, the babe Christian saw it and it messed him up. Paul says, if that's tripping him up in his faith, that's a sin. So if, you know, some people feel, oh man, I, nothing wrong with a glass of wine or this, this, I don't drink, I don't do any of that, you know, whether they do that or not, that's up to them. I'm talking about Christian folk. But now if that's tripping somebody up, man, you've sinned. So, you know, we don't have this loosey-goosey relationship that, okay, once you say that means it's free for all. No, it doesn't mean that. There are criteria, there are responsibility, there's a call. And yes, you are held to a higher standard. So it's not just the mere fact, okay, hey man, that's part of what we used to say like it's 1999, but uh, <laughs> can't say that no more, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. You're, you're touching on something I was going to ask next because I can hear people saying like, okay, if, if I have eternal security, then why do I need the Holy Spirit? Why do I need to take a step further and pursue sanctification, you know, living a righteous life? So for someone who is listening and saying, okay, I have eternal security. I'm going to go to heaven. I believe um, I've confessed my sins. Why do why why should believers take it a step further and have a relationship with the spirit? Great question. Because the Holy Spirit's responsibility, you read in John 14 and John 16, he is to guide us into all manner of truth. He is to lead us into all manner of truth. He is to convict us, convict us of our sins. Matter of fact, he is the one who draws us. I think it's John 6, 44, 34, something where it says, no man can come to the Father except the Spirit of God do the drawing. 
he is the one who seals us, Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed to the day of redemption. And so to grieve him is not to yield to the progressive work of Christ, and of, of the Trinity in your life. And then it, 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 it goes back, you say, well, you know, now that I'm saying, well, why do I have to yield? Because when we accept Jesus, Jesus is not in the business of just accepting, just, Jesus didn't die on the cross just to become your savior. Jesus died on the cross so that he could become your Lord and your savior. That's the difference. And so lordship means what? Rulership. We talk about the kingdom of God. If there's a kingdom, there got to be a king. And in that kingdom, there has to be vassals or subjects. And the mere fact that the mere, when we come into the kingdom of God, guess what we're doing? We're yielding to the spirit of God. So it's not just a free get out of hell pass and that's it. If that's the, you know, <laughs> if you paint it that way. That, and that's why I say you have to read the Bible according to its context, you know, the context, the, the historical piece, the contextual piece, and the grammatical piece. And everything in the Bible tells us that we are to live, especially in the New Testament, how we're to live for Christ. Go to Matthew 5, somewhere around verse 13. He uses four metaphors. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're the city on the hill. You're the lamp on the stand. Guess what? He put you in this place to be light, not darkness. And in order to be light, he has to be Lord of your life. So the people, you know, people, and I know they focus on, well, if I just, if you just focus just on salvation and that's it alone, you may not be saved. If, if, you, if, if your intent was never for Christ to be Lord of your life, I would question you know, I would, I would question your salvation. I really would, because to 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 become for Christ to be to enter into your life, He is to become your personal Lord and your personal Savior. So it's not just I want you to be my Savior, then I'm gonna live like Him. Nah, you ain't saved. I shouldn't have said that. I don't know, but uh, it's the real one. We we talk like Kalanda talk like that all the time. <laughs> I'm feeling at home, Mavin. Hey, I'm feeling. Yeah, good. yeah. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> I have a question for you. Uh, I remember um, a few years ago, I met a friend of mine. He was in the church, real heavy in the church, and um, time went on, and um, he ended up leaving the church, uh, walking away from his relationship with God. And so, um, you know, I felt that to kind of reach out to him, like, man, what happened? What's going on? When I first met you, you was on fire, man. What happened? He was like, man. You know, I found out, you know, I don't think it was for me and, you know, I didn't want to do it anymore and this and that. So I say, man, but God still loves you, man. He'll, you know, just be honest with him, repent, he'll forgive you. And just, you know, he's married to the backslider, you know, trying to really convince him. And he was dead set on, he was like, I, I don't want that anymore. And he said, I've done so much. I don't think God would forgive me because he brought up the scripture um, when it says, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit um, because that's unforgivable. So he said, I've already blasphemed the Holy Spirit, so, you know, I made peace with it, and it is what it is. What do we say to people like that? Because there are people that are saying, you know, this salvation thing don't work for me, and they are saying things that could become blasphemous to the Holy Spirit, so what type of encouragement do we get them to keep letting them know? Should we at least still try to encourage them to have a relationship with the Lord, or should we just... I, I think you should. I think if that opportunity is open, that you should. And now one of the things that I was having this conversation today, actually with, with two people, two, two, uh, two people on my staff, 
you know, sometimes we tell people, trust God. Man, all you got to do is just trust God. And that sounds good, but, you know, sometimes people need handles to hold on to. You know, you, you tell me to grab the wall and there ain't no handles on there, you know. And sometimes that's how it is with God. Is that you said, man, you know, you tell somebody who's struggling in their faith, man, trust God. Sometimes that's like them <laughs> grabbing on, trying to grab onto the wall when the wall has no handles. Mm. I said that to say this. So sometimes what we have to do through the wisdom, through the, through the unction of the Holy Spirit is give them some simple handles that, uh, that they can grasp hold to. In other words, tell, tell them, to, you know, teach them and show them how to start small. One passage of scripture, which probably would have loaded you up to at least deal with him, was 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. You said, bro, now you read this. Now listen, it don't get no worse than this. And so the Bible says that God is just. And if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to faithful. forgive us of our sin. And it didn't say cleanse us from some, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so now you've got murderers, you've got pimps, you've got prostitutes, larcenists. There are myriad of folk that have done a truckload of stuff worse than you that now they're saved. They're living for God. They, they, they have testimonies. I, so sometimes what we have to do is to find out where they are, find people that we know, you know, or that we can reference that's in a boat that they're in or in a boat that's worse than they're in. And let them know, man, look what God did for them. Because sometimes what's important is not the sermon. Sometimes it's the testimony. Because people need to know if there's somebody been in the same shape that I'm in. You know, I minister to a lot of people, but nobody can minister to a person that's been on crack like a person that's been on crack. That's no right. one can minister to somebody who's been on alcohol like somebody that's been delivered from alcohol. Uh, hey man, they, they can they can do it in a manner that I can't do it. And so you were right to encourage them. And there are a lot of people like that. And I think we have to try to find and seek God's wisdom, you know, and spend that time in prayer. Lord, give me what to say to him. You to use my words, use my thoughts. What references do I have that I can share, you know, with this brother? And then ultimately it's in the Lord's hands from there. That's good. So I think clearly, you know, hearing a little bit about my story growing up, and I probably family too, you know, the way we were taught salvation is completely different from how we understand it today. So how would you encourage someone who is trying to share um, the gift of salvation with someone? Because the method, you know, the way it was taught to us, you know, you see how we were always repetitely trying to be saved, you know, repeatedly trying to ask God for forgiveness to be yeah, saved every summer. <laughs> try, to, try to stay in right standing every moment of the day. How would, like, what is the correct way to lead someone to, to Christ? I would say, uh, I, I would say the, the truthful way. Uh, truth always wins, not just in the beginning, but in the end. So I would say the truthful way. And that truthful way is, you know, there are a couple of passages of scripture, you know, uh, uh, I think Romans 3.23 says, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, we didn't fall short of God's glory before we got saved. After we get saved, we fall short of God's glory, which means this. There are some times I get upset. There are some times I get upset with 
congregations with with my congregation. Now, sometimes I get upset with my children. Now, sometimes I get upset with my wife. There are times I'm upset with me. That's just real talk. There are things that I have done since I've been saved that I wish I had not have done. There are things that I've had to apologize for. That's just real talk. And so, but with that being said, one of the things that we do is that God is not asking you to live a perfect life. What God is asking you is to live a life that's sold out to him. The, what does that mean? It means you're going to fall sometimes. Peter cursed and swore and said, I don't know. I didn't even say, I don't know Jesus. He said, I don't know the man. And guess what the Lord did? God does not see us where we are. God sees us where we're going to be. That's why he says, Peter, now you done messed up. The devil want to get you. He said, but I prayed. And when you get it straight, I want you to go strengthen your brothers. So how do we minister to them? How do we witness them? We, you, you be practical with them. You tell them, hey, man, I've had some things. There have been some things that I've struggled with. There have been some, you don't have to go real deep, but you can say, hey, man, we're all human. Here's the, here's the, the, the kind of uh, phrase I would give you. To be saved does not mean we're sinless, but it should mean we sin less. Let me say it again. Being saved does not mean we're sinless but it should mean that we sin less. And the more you yield your life over to the word of God, the more you, you determine the fellowship that you're in, the people that you, uh, you associate with, and the more you have an effort to live for Christ, you're gonna see the change and others will, will see that change as well. And so then you tell them how Christ has changed your life. That's what you do because it's your personal testimony. So that, you know, it's just there, there's no one way I would say to do it. You know, one of the things that we've often shared is about, we've often talked about is sharing our personal testimony because that's what people want to hear. And you say, hey, man, I didn't always get it right, but I know that uh, that's been on me. It hadn't been on Christ, you know, and go from there. It's, it's, it's so good you said that because, I mean, in this generation, especially with a lot of the younger people, millennials and Zs, you see a lot of them. Um, just kind of living reckless, you know, um, really don't have any care for life. You know, they're not afraid of death. They're not afraid of, you know, taking somebody else's life, just like the story today with a 13-year-old um, that was murdered. And I think a 14-year-old is the one that, they, so both, of, he, he has to lose his life to prison and she lost her life to murder. So it's kind of like no regard and things of that nature. Um, uh, with, with things like that going on, um, and it makes it harder. I don't want to say really that much harder, but it does make it a little challenging now to present Christ to them because it's so much that they fed themselves with down through the years. And um, how do we make as, as a church at large, what is the way that we can make salvation? Because I used to ask God this all the time. If salvation is so easy to receive, why so many people don't want it? <laughs> and so how do we make salvation more uh, appealing, especially to the generations that are coming after us as a pastor? Well, I think we have to give them examples. You know, uh, Peter says that we should always be ready to give the reason, the answer for the reason of the hope that lies within us. I think it should be something about my life, something about your life, something about Kalanda's life that will draw people to Christ. You know, I've been in places where one of my guys who's a minister, who's actually our small group's pastor, I met him probably 15 years ago. I was in the gym. He was uh, 
<laughs> he, he was a trainer. And so he's in, I never told him who I was. And so he was in there and he, he ended up seeing me on TV. He said, man, so when I came back to the gym, he said, man, why didn't you tell me you was a pastor? I said, man, because you never asked. And so I would talk to him and I would, you know, I'm just being me. He said, man, did I, did I, did I say a few things out of the way? I said, you said a lot of things that was out of the way. I said, but I said, now what I was doing was looking for the opportunity and what I was doing was trying to share, you know, Christ with you and build a rapport with you. And he said this, he said, I knew it was something different about you. Here's the thing. Our lives have to, first of all, it starts with an example because you don't know who's watching us. I'm not going to go out and drink with everybody. I'm not going to sit there. I, I'm going to make sure that my walk is the way that I believe it would be appealing to bring some, you know, to uh, bring someone to the saving knowledge of Christ. And so it begins with that. I think it begins with your example, because one of the things that we have done, is those I'm, I'm talking about the church in general, is that sometimes we mess people up by crazy stuff that we've done, uh, jacked up stuff we've done. We've messed these people up. Some of them have left church, will never come to church. Some are looking at church and not going to come. But then God is, God is going to always have a remnant. There's going to always be somebody that wants to be saved. And so we have to be ready to, to share our testimony. So I think being an example, I think sharing it from a very practical point, not trying to be super pious and super spiritual, put it where the rubber meets the road. They need to see that Christians dress like you dress. They need to see that Christians can, can listen to different types of music. It ain't got to be raunchy and nasty. We have put Christ so much in a box until if people don't fit in this box, they can't be saved. Well, that's not, uh-uh. Jesus, the Bible says this about Christ, the common people heard him glad. He dwelt with sinners and tax collectors and publicans, and he messed the Pharisees and those boys up. Guess why? Because they thought they were better than the folks. So be you, you know, have a standard, have an example, a, a godly example, but not only that, make sure that you also have your testimony ready. Tell about how God saved you and the difference that Christ has made in your life. I think that's how you, you uh, somebody, somebody, God is not gonna be without a witness. Uh, he, he's, he's just, in every era, every generation, God is not gonna be without a witness. And so we have to make up in our minds that we're gonna be that witness. That's good. So good. <laughs> but I like this because we're like, because it's, it's, it's been so many questions about salvation lately. And I know now with a lot of people not going to church and with the pandemic, you know, it's kind of opening up a venue for people to kind of just listen to any and everything now. And there are a lot of people that are not disciplined enough to, to keep their walk with the Lord when they're not physically in church. So I'm glad that we're having this discussion because it is kind of refreshing to us about the importance of salvation and how it is um, to us, so yeah. And just quickly, you know, what's crazy is that, man, God has saved some churches as a result of COVID. Mm -hmm. something, listen, we got people who were never on TV or YouTube or Facebook mm -hmm. now, I mean, you got preachers who now, they, you know, they got the little audio visual stuff on and so forth. and. But churches are, it's crazy. The, the viewership of some churches, not all, have mm -hmm. grown. And that's as a result of, it never would have happened if it not been for that's COVID. That's true. So, you know, so as I say, God is, you know, the, God is not going to be without a witness. He's not going to be without a witness. 
As before, as we're wrapping up, Pastor, can you just share what are your services, um, your your weekly schedule? Are you all back in the building or? Yeah, we have been back in at our St. John's campus, and this is crazy, sis, that you even brought that up because we're. Let me say this real quick. I know we're running out of time, but we had to pivot very quickly when we were going to the shutdown a year ago. So we put everything online, youth service online, all that stuff there. Now we're trying to get folks, because I see them all everywhere. They all up at the Mellow Mushroom and every place else, man, y'all come to church. <laughs> so but, uh, what we're doing is uh, we're doing in-person service at our St. John's campus, because it's, it's larger. We're doing only about 200 people there. We're going to open up Mandarin the second Sunday in uh, next month, and we'll do about 150 there. And what's crazy is that <laughs> we're gonna move, normally the Mandarin campus was at 9.15 and St. John's was at 11.15, but through COVID, we've been doing just the 9.15 service at St. John's and that is just built up. So we can't move that out of the way. So what we're gonna do is do 9.15 at St. John's and then 7.15 in the morning, at, uh, at the Mandarin campus. And so they got to get up early. Early in the morning will I seek thee. Ooh, I'm gonna pray for them. Yeah, but <laughs> listen, you know what was crazy? We used to do it um, prior to us moving in our new campus. At our Mandarin campus, we were seven, nine, and 11. And what was crazy is that the 7 a.m. service was the second largest service. So it was almost three oh. full full. So we'll yeah. see, you know. We, we got to preach against the spirit of uh, pajamas and uh, 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 bedside Baptist and pillar of faith, but uh, we're going to break that spirit in Jesus' name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll that's that sleeping in the car at the parking lot. Hey, man. <laughs> like, let me just go, let me go park in the parking <laughs> lot. Man, he, <laughs> he up there in the Mellow Mushroom, though, and at the movie, and down at the rap concert, <laughs> man, come to church. That's true. You're right. You're right. That's when is Bible study. Bible study is on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. at St. John's campus, but you can watch it on YouTube and, mm -hmm. you know, see it, because uh, that's how Stanley, Stanley's not coming to nobody's church, but you can watch it on YouTube or uh, <laughs> on Facebook, so. Don't be ashamed now, you have already said that you just <laughs> going back, that you like online service. But he's in the middle of Letting here in the Mellow Mushroom, though. That's what he out every weekend. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't tell my business. Don't do that. I'm, <laughs> no, no, I'm evangelizing. Crap. I'm an evangelist. So I, somebody <laughs> got to go in the highway. I got to go in the highways and the hedges and get them. So I'm working for y'all. <laughs> somebody got to go get them. You ordering that pepperoni pizza. That's what you're doing, <laughs> man. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I showed with the mellow mushrooms last week. Man, that's why I keep laughing. I'm like, God, I with the mellow mushrooms. Oh, that's that prophetic, <laughs> that prophetic spirit in me calling you out. Yeah, he called. You right. called me right Come back now. home, son. Come right. back home. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. This, yeah. this has been such a pleasure. It's been they all in the comments. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of comments. Yeah. So. Thank we definitely got to bring you back one day, Pastor Williams, whenever your schedule permits. 
Well, Stanley, just don't tell me the day of, but I'll- No, you know, no, I won't do that. You know, I won't do that. I, my apologies, my apologies. For you guys, but I, I'm, I'm just honored to be here with you, man. You all just, you're doing a bang up job, man. I pray you keep doing it. I pray your voice gets stronger. I pray the audience gets louder. And, and man, I pray that we do just that. Bring, uh, you know, bring your generation, this younger generation to the, to the knowledge of uh, Christ. And, you know, man, I, I, I say this, just because people ab abuse the faith does not mean that the faith is, a, is abusing. Okay. You know, you think about that. Uh, I, I tell people this, I'll say it very quickly, when those terrorists flew those planes into the building in 9-11, well, listen, that didn't make the plane bad. It just meant that the people who hijacked the plane, and there are times that there are people who hijacked the faith, that make the faith bad. You just have people who hijack the faith. So, you know. That's good. I'm going to preach that when I go back to church. Do it, man. Do it. When, do I, it. when I get back to church, I'm going to preach that one. Send the offering to Hopewell, 3990. <laughs> Loretta Roy. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I like that. Awesome. Do you have any announcements before we log off? Mm-mm. Nope. Thank you nope. so much again, Pastor, for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I got to go back and listen to this. Yeah. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. Don't forget to tune in on Saturday um, to catch the replay on Pure Radio at 4 p.m. And wherever you subscribe to listen to podcasts, the episode will be available on Thursday, beginning at midnight. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the room. Peace. Peace.